My grandfather was 99 when he went to rest with Jesus. And shortly thereafter, the process began for my mom and her sisters of, of cleaning out his home. And as you can imagine, he'd compiled some stuff over nearly a century of living. And every couple of days, I would check in with my mom and just ask her how that process of, of going through grandpa's stuff and cleaning out his house was going. And she would get me updated on, on some of the treasures, some of the trinkets that they had found, uh, things that were precious to them and to all of us in the family, uh, old photos that no one had seen for decades, uh, uh, a collection of coins, some of, his, some of his things that he had during World War II. Now again, it's, it's not that my grandfather was a hoarder, he wasn't, but you amass some other possessions over the course of a hundred years of living, and, and those daily things, those daily items, those daily trinkets had, had really covered over and buried some of the real treasures of the family. That is, until a daughter or a grandchild goes digging through all those other possessions and finds those treasures and puts them back on the mantle where they belong. Today we're recognizing the Protestant Reformation, which is the moment where the, the gospel, what, what Christians call the good news, was rediscovered. And it's a long and complicated, fascinating and important story, but but let me just kind of share it like this. I want you to think of the church, the capital C church, as, as a house. A, a house that the people of faith had lived in at this point for about 1,500 years. And, and over the course of 1,500 years, the church had gathered a whole lot of stuff. Uh, the church had gathered a whole lot of everyday items, some trinkets, and even some trash. And the problem was that all those everyday items, the trinkets and the trash, they were covering up. They were hiding the treasure. And the treasure was this, the message that mankind is saved by grace through faith alone. Eventually, people got tired of this pile of things covering over the treasure that is the Christian gospel. And a man named Martin had had enough, and so he, he wrote up a series of theses, and he, he nailed them to the door of the Wittenberg church, and you could say that it went viral. <laughs> and a whole lot of other people got involved. Not just him, but, but other sons and daughters and, and grandchildren of the church, they got involved and they started to dig through the house and saying, let's find the treasure. Let's find the family heirloom that we all want to inherit. Let's find this. It's buried under all this other stuff. And indeed, they found it. Uh, for Luther, it came through studying the words of the book of Romans. Words like these in Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 21, Paul writes, the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's it. That's the whole thing right there. That's, that's the treasure. That's the message, that there is a right relationship with your creator. That's what righteousness means, a right relationship that is freely given to all apart from performance, apart from your own devotion, apart from how good of a person that you are. It is a right relationship gifted to you through the work of Jesus Christ alone. That is the treasure that got buried in the church and was rediscovered. And that is worthy of recognizing, worthy of celebrating. And that's why we sing the songs today, and that's why I dress like I should be leading a parade. <laughs> we are saved not through any effort of our own, 
but we are chosen, we are beloved, we are his through the work of Jesus Christ alone. And my friends, that is really, really good news. Now, Reformation is not merely something that happened in history. It's not simply something that you should learn more about and, and stream a docu-series on the History Channel about. You should do that. But Reformation is not just a historical event. Reformation is also a habit in the heart and mind of a healthy follower of Jesus. Because the truth is that our lives get cluttered with all kinds of other forms of religiosity and spirituality that bury the treasure, so to speak. We fill our lives with all kinds of spiritual clutter. You may not know this about yourself or about humanity in general, but we are spiritual hoarders. We are so desperate to feel right and good and whole that we will wrap our arms around anything that we think can help us accomplish that. We fill our lives with all kinds of, you could say, false gospels. Now, an image that popped into my mind as I was wrestling with this is from my childhood. It's, it's that of my favorite game show when I was growing up. My favorite game show growing up was not Price is Right, although that's a good one. It wasn't Family Feud, although Richard Dawson is the best host of any game show ever. My favorite game show when I was growing up, my favorite thing to watch when I was homesick from school was something called Supermarket Sweep. Does anyone here remember the original, the OG Supermarket Sweep? If you're not familiar with it, it's an insane show. It culminates, it ends with what's called the big sweep, where people take shopping carts, as many as they can fill, and they run around a fake supermarket and they try to fill it up with the most expensive items. And so what you end up is with people running around, filling their carts with like 30 canned hams, which to an 11-year-old is the funniest thing in the world. Now, I bring this up because to me, this is a ludicrous but appropriate image for how you and I tend to live our lives. We are spiritual hoarders. Because of sin, we know that something's not right. We know that there is kind of a hole here in our hearts. We know that there is an emptiness. There is a brokenness. There's mortality in our bones. There is something deficient. There's something wrong. And so what we do is we run through life grabbing at anything and everything that we can, putting it in our cart, thinking that this might make us whole. Maybe this will make me happy. Maybe this will give me peace. We run around filling our lives. And then what happens for people of faith is the treasure, the treasure gets buried at the bottom. The treasure gets buried at the bottom underneath all of this other stuff that cannot satisfy. Until at some point, we become tired, weak, weary, angry, exasperated, anxious. Our faith feels like it's faltering, dead, or dying, and we wonder why. It's because you've taken the life-changing truth and you've put it in the back of the house behind piles of all kinds of other things. It's because you've taken the life-changing truth that you're loved apart from your performance and you've buried it in the bottom of the cart underneath all these things that tell you to do more and try harder. That's why you feel weak and weary and anxious and bad and broken. That's why that's why you're at the end of your rope and your battery's at 2%. Amen. That's why. And so what, what, what a healthy follower of Jesus does is they take the time to kind of pull out all the false spiritualities and, and find the treasure again. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, well, Matt, I, I am not a spiritual hoarder. 
I'm not the kind of person who, who grabs a whole bunch of canned ham, so to speak, and throws it in my cart thinking it's going to make me happy. And I will gently push back on that and say, yes, you do. <laughs> let, let me prove it to you. Uh, l- let me share with you just like, like f- really quickly four different things that people tend to get, get caught up in as, uh, as competing spiritualities to the one true faith. Things we fill our carts and our homes, our hearts and our lives with. Uh, the first is this. Many people will, will wrap their arms around a spirituality of doing more. It is the, the false gospel of busyness. This is the one that I struggle with. It, it's, the, it's the attitude of heart and mind that says, well, I need to be whole, I need to be good, I need to be right with the world and right with God, and the way that I'll accomplish that is not by trusting in the promises of God. No, I'll accomplish that by getting everything checked off on my list and then some. I'll view the entire world as a scoreboard, and so long as I'm doing enough to make it look like I'm winning, I will be enough. And so, and so you stay busy, you try to crush it at work, you try to hustle as hard as you possibly can as a human being, you sign your kids up for every activity under the sun and then tell your husband that he's got to coach them all. <laughs> but what you discover in the end is that for all you're doing, you're never done. You've bought into a lie that you can do more and you'll arrive, but you never arrive. It's never done. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you have bought into the spirituality of the falling sky. This is the false gospel of fear and anger. Those who have added this into their cart or stuffed this into their home, these are folks who understand that, that bad things and bad people abound in this world. And in order to regain a sense of control and to maintain a sense of peace, they think that, that they need to point out every bad thing and bad person and argue about every evil thing that's in front of them. It's often fed by an obsession with cable news or memes on Facebook. But what you start to think in this spirituality of the falling sky is that if you just argue with enough people, shake your fist at enough people, if you just roll your eyes enough at your liberal nephew, then maybe... Maybe you can gain enough control in this bad and broken world to feel peace and to feel like you can make sense of it all. But the downside to this false gospel is that you can never do enough to make all the bad things go away. There will always be something to make you afraid. In fact, the people that you are getting all your fear from need you to stay afraid because they get a lot of power and money from it, but that's just me. Or maybe, maybe you have bought into a spirituality of indispensability. This is one that religious people get caught up in all the time. It's the false gospel of helping and fixing. Now, helping and fixing are not bad, but in the spirituality of indispensability, you buy into this idea that that you can be enough by making sure everybody else is enough. You are everybody's best friend. You are everybody's first call when a crisis strikes. You are always there to run the errand, watch the kids do the thing for somebody else. When their life's falling apart, you're the first one that they reach out to. You are known as the one who's always doing, always giving, always serving somebody other than themselves. And while most of the time you're happy to do it, the truth is that you've convinced yourself that you need it. Because you have bought into the lie that says, The lie that says, my needs don't matter as much as everybody else. And underneath that is this other lie that says, if I can convince the world that everybody else's needs matter most, maybe I matter too. 
But the downside of this is that you never get your own needs met. You never articulate what they are. And so seeds of bitterness grow because you start to think, why doesn't anybody ever look out for me the way I look out for everybody else? And so in an effort to feel whole, you end up feeling unloved. It's not working for you. Or maybe you get caught up in a spirituality of peacemaking. It's, it's the false gospel of making sure everything's okay. People who buy into this, who put this in their cart or fill their home with this, they, they are known as the coolest person in the room. They never shake, they never rattle, they never make any waves. In fact, they are good at calming other people down. They're known as the, the master mediator. They're known as the king of compromise. When everybody else is fighting, he's the one who's able to walk in and go like, hey, it's all good. Can't we all just get along, man? Now, peacemaking is a good thing, but it's a terrible spirituality because real peace comes from God, not from you. And so what you're going to discover really quickly is that you cannot keep the waves calm enough for everybody. You cannot, you cannot live a passive life enough so that there's never any friction, never any anxiety in the world around you. There will always be a disruption to your peace. And in fact, sometimes, sometimes you, sometimes in life you have to be the one who causes some activity, who takes a stand, who makes some waves in order to do what's right. And what will happen is if you are into the spirituality of peacemaking and just being super passive about life and just letting it happen to you, then what will happen is eventually people will get frustrated with you when the time comes for you to actually say something or do something and you do nothing. And in an effort to be whole by making waves, you find out that there are people around you who are frustrated with you because you haven't made any yourself. Now, the good news that flows out of the Reformation is that no amount of doing, no amount of anger, no amount of helping, no amount of making peace can make you right with God. And that's not bad news, that is good news. No amount of your effort and activity can make you right with him. Instead, you are given a right, whole, and good relationship with the only one who matters as a passive gift. It is not a medal that you earn. It is a gift that you're given. Again, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, this time looking at verses 21 through 24. It says this, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody's a mess, and yet... All are justified, all are made not guilty. That's what justification means. By his grace as a what? Say the word. As a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It all comes down to this simple phrase. This simple phrase that summarizes the heart of the Christian message and what was rediscovered in the Reformation and what you and I must return to every time our cart gets piled so high. And the simple phrase is this, Jesus is enough. I'll say it again, Jesus is enough. Oh, I'm going to make you say it with me. Jesus is enough. Friends, that is the treasure that gets buried under so much trash. That is the family heirloom that everybody wants to inherit. That is the gold that gets buried under so much other busyness and false spiritualities. And that is what the Lord wants you to rediscover. 
Now, now some of you are here this morning, and, and you are tired. Your battery is at 2%. Your anger is at a simmer. It's ready to boil over. Your anxiety has got you at wit's end. Life, how you're living it, is not working for you. And would you consider just for a moment that that is God's gift to you? It is God's gift to you because he is trying to awaken you to the truth that all the things that you've piled up in your life are actually causing so much of the pain and the anxiety that you are experiencing. So much of the issue that you're experiencing is because you have filled your life with false spiritualities and with lies that say, just do more and try harder, and it'll be better, but it's never better. And God's invitation is for you to empty out the cart, to haul all the stuff out the front door and put it on the driveway and rediscover the treasure that you've buried and put it back on the mantle where it belongs. Jesus is enough. I'll say it again. Jesus is enough. He is enough. In fact, friends, that's why gathering like this each and every week each and every week is so important because think of Sunday mornings like this. Sunday morning is meant to be a weekly reformation, if you will. It, it is meant to be a weekly event where we come, we come to worship, we come to receive God's gift, but we also come ready to haul our trailer full of false spiritualities and empty false gospels with us and to unload those things, to come through those doors in the back pushing our cart full of canned ham that we thought was going to cure all our ills and to empty those things out and to rediscover the treasure that I am good, I am loved, I am right, I am whole, I am forgiven, I am eternal, not because of all this stuff that I carry and all the things that I've done, but because of the gift of who Jesus is and what he's done for me. That's what this is all about. Jesus is enough. I'll close with this. At the start of his ministry, Jesus is about 30 years old, and his, his cousin, John the Baptist, who was kind of Jesus' like opening act to get the crowd ready, John the Baptist is going around telling people to, to be baptized, to recognize that they need a, a Savior, they need a Messiah to show up. And so Jesus goes to where John is baptizing crowds of people in preparation for the Messiah, Jesus' arrival, and Jesus, to John's surprise, says, hey, John, uh, let me get baptized too. And John's like, uh, crowd, hold on a second. Uh, Jesus, you, you don't really have to do that. I mean, all of this is to get all of them ready for you. Remember, they're the sinners. You're the Savior. You're not a sinner. I mean, <laughs> I mean you should baptize me. I, don't, I, I shouldn't baptize you. Why would you do this? And Jesus says to John, Jesus says, we must do this to fulfill all righteousness. Interesting phrase. Remember, righteousness means being a right and good person in the eyes of the Father. And so John is like, okay, Jesus, whatever you say, you're Jesus, so here we go. He baptizes Jesus, and then after Jesus is baptized, there's this, this, this dove that descends, which represents, which is the Holy Spirit that kind of starts bouncing all around Jesus, and then the heavens break open, and this voice is heard. It's the voice of the Father that says, this is my beloved Son, now, now, let those things sink in. Jesus says, I have to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. And then he's baptized, and the Father says, this is my beloved Son. Now, why would Jesus need to do this? Certainly, he was already righteous. He's Jesus. 
And, and certainly, he, certainly he was already God's son, loved by the Father. Why would he need to do this? Why would this moment need to take place? This had to happen because from this moment forward, Jesus would continue to live a perfectly righteous life. But the question is, for whom? Jesus was right and good for whom? For himself? No, he didn't need it. He was baptized like you have been baptized. And he goes on to live a life underneath the Father, like you live a life under the Father. But, but he did it perfectly because he did it for who? For you. The answer to the question, for whom was Jesus righteous? For whom was Jesus good? The answer is for me. For me. So that now through faith alone in him, his rightness, his goodness, his perfect performance becomes yours. And now through faith in him alone, God the Father looks at you and says, you are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son. Jesus does everything for us. He fulfills all the righteousness and then hands it to you. Friends, you don't have to live with all the clutter in your house. You don't have to push a cart full of stuff. You don't have to do it. Because there is a treasure that's been given. You are right, you are good, you are loved, you are his. Through the work of Jesus Christ alone, if you are weary, if you are tired, if you are anxious, if your hope is feeling empty, I, I pray that you would just unload the cart, unload the cart, lay hold of that treasure, look at it again, maybe for the first time, and know that it's a gift and it is yours. You are good with God. Put it on the mantle where you can see it every day and live with peace. Amen.